Isn't Veterans Day, isn't Veterans Day terrific? I'll tell you, when I fought in the Civil War, there was a, <laughs> that was with my neighbors. No, I'm just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Well, Salbacher. Salam alaikum. Ah. Habibi, Habibi. Ah. We have a little shway shway. We're sharing just a little bit heart to heart. Do you see the smile on his face? A little bit of Arabic goes a long way. <laughs> Bless the Lord before I even finish or start the message. You have homework next week. This week we're going to look at Hebrews. All four of you. Hallelujah. (laughs) Hebrews 7. And what comes after 7? Hebrews 8 next week. Three times. Let it soak into your heart. Let it soak into your spirit. But for right now, we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. And I'm going to start off by reading the first three verses, and then I'm going to blow the ancient horn of communication, the ram's horn, the shofar. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to begin to look at this wonderful scripture. Starting in verse 1, Hebrews 7. For this Malkitzedek, or Melchizedek, king of Salam, Salem, Shalom, Priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him. To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. First being translated king of righteousness, then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Let's pray. Lord, these are deep, deep thoughts. We have a hard time wrapping our mind around eternal continually, not having a beginning or an end. God, that that just does not compute in our earthly human mindset. But I pray that the anointing that rests upon the written word of God would come and rest upon us this morning. Would you be gracious to us, Lord? We welcome God, Holy Spirit, Ruach HaKodesh, the breath of God, the wind of God, blow upon us this morning and enlighten the eyes of our hearts that we may have some wonderful, eternal understanding of things which are hard to understand in the natural mind. So breathe upon us. Let the breath and wind of God Come into our gathering this morning, Lord. And may your word be crystal clear for each of us gathered here. 
even as the sound of this biblical old horn, the shofar, sounds clearly to give a distinct call to listen. Speak, Lord. Your bondservants are listening. Amen. Amen. The writer to the Hebrews, he uses this story from Genesis 14, verses 18 through 20, to show us that Messiah, Yeshua, is greater than Avraham. He's greater than the father of the Jewish nation and also the father of the Muslim nation. And Levi, Abraham's descendant, Avraham, the Messiah is greater than he. And in these three verses in Genesis, Melchizedek is described as the priest of the beautiful Hebrew expression, El Elyon, God Most High. And it's literally translated as God, the highest of the highest. And this can be compared to the angel's declaration when Yeshua was born, which much of the world is looking to celebrate next month. When the angels spoke from heaven to the ears of simple little shepherds out in their fields, glory to God in the highest. It has that same connotation of the highest of the highest. Therefore, this Melchizedek priesthood, which is a type of Messiah's priesthood, is the highest of the highest. And the Jewish priesthood, which was to come from Aaron and Levi, the descendants of those, it couldn't compare to this God Most High Melchizedek priesthood. Now let's look at verse 4. Now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Avraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi, who received the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law. That is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here, mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives forever. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. So as mentioned, Melchizedek was a priest of the Most High God, and in Psalm 1, 
10, verse 4, it says that he remains a priest forever. Forever. Another difficult thing for us to really wrap our finite minds around. But it says forever because his priesthood has no beginning and no ending. He was a priest of God in Salem. Salem. And the extension of that is Yerushalayim, Jerusalem, a city of peace that amazingly has been raised to the ground 37 times in its history. But long before even the nation of Israel or the Levitical priesthood began, this priesthood continued. Now verse 11, Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe, from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. Verse 15. And it is yet far more evident, if in the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Only the chosen and appointed by God could serve as priests in the Old Covenant. The Levites, the tribe of Levi, they served in the tabernacle, but only those of Aaron's family lineage could ever serve as actual priests. And the priesthood has always been a very serious matter to God. I'm not, we're not going to be looking at the priesthood and its significance now. I think we'll probably do that in chapters 9 and 10 further on. But just know that from God's perspective, priesthood has been in his heart from the beginning. A people who would love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that he could be their God and they could be his people. Yeshua's high priestly role was far superior to that of any priest in the Old Covenant. Why? Because Messiah was a priest of a higher order, the order of Melchizedek, of what we read in Psalm 110, verse 4. The Lord has taken an oath and will not break his vow, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, if the old covenant priests and their laws had been able to save people, why would God need to send Yeshua, Jesus, as a priest? Even a priest of a higher order. Why? Especially since Yeshua did not come from the tribe of Levi, nor from the lineage of Aaron, 
But he was born of the tribe of Yehuda, Judah. And in the old covenantal system, animal sacrifices had to be repeated day after day after day. And they only offered temporary forgiveness. But this priest, this Messiah priest of the order of Melchizedek, offered sacrifice once with his life, which provides total and permanent forgiveness. No longer temporary until the next sacrifice. This sacrifice was so acceptable to God, God said, it is finished. Verses 18 and 19. For on the one hand, there was an annulling of the former commandment, because of its weakness and being unprofitable. For the law made nothing perfect. And on the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Now, the law was not intended to save people, nor to make them perfect, but first to point out sin, as Paul describes in Romans 3.20. It also had another significant aspect. The law was to point out sin, and it was to point us to the Messiah. The Messiah who would be the redeemer of the whole planet, of every race, every tongue, every tribe of people. And salvation only comes through the person that had that name, Yeshua. Jesus, his name means salvation. Only he, with his incredible sacrifice of his own life, can bring forgiveness of wrongdoing for all mankind. And being honest or working diligently to help others or even giving to charitable causes, these are all commendable. But all of our good deeds cannot save us at all or make us right with God. And in verse 19 He talks about drawing near to God. Well, how can you draw near to God? Well, the Bible makes it clear that your body is God's temple. So that means something about our body is going to be involved in drawing near to God. And you want to know the living God personally. The problem in the world is that we have so much religion and so little relationship. And salvation is all about relationship. It's not about what we do. It's about who we become and who we are re-related to because of that sacrifice that Jesus made at Calvary. So your body's going to be involved in drawing near to God. But we don't want to accept God in, in as an idea or a concept or not as some distant monarch who's longing to have people fall down and worship him. Instead, we have a God that's looking to draw us closer to himself that he might relate. So we can draw near to God through prayer, through talking to God, through worship, and through meditation on what is written, the scriptures. Now, you don't have to live like a monk. But most all of us will need to increase our prayer communication with God. 
And you know, in regards to prayer, it often may seem like you're in a one-way conversation talking to yourself. I mean, if you talk out loud in prayer, the only voice you're going to hear is your own. But I want you to know this. God is listening. And God communicates very differently than people do to us. People communicate most often with their mouth. But God communicates with the heart. And just as it took time and a lot of practice to communicate with others, to be able to get our point across, to be able to express our heart through words, it's also a process of learning how to listen with our hearts. Often, our life of worship consists only on a day of worship, Sundays. We should make worship our top daily priority. We can meditate on verses. We can sing worship songs. We can engage in quiet Bible meditation. The Bible is God's word to us. So spend time in it every day. And you will find God drawing nearer and closer just as you are drawing nearer and closer to him as well. Verse 20. Inasmuch as he was made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath. But he with an oath by him who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. Boy, this phrase is being Spoken a lot this morning, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing on. But he, referring back to Jesus, because he continues to live forever, he has an unchangeable priesthood. So he's making it clear that Yeshua has a permanent priesthood. That's forever. And in our culture today, many people have advisors and counselors whom they even elevate almost to a role of a priest. Because people often look to political leaders or to lawyers or to physicians or to insurance agents, or financial advisors, of how to be able to provide hope, long life, and security against disasters. Even many Christians regard the advice of priests and ministers, or Christian friends, or even pop musicians, before they really consider the words of Jesus that are written in the Bible. So make sure your first allegiance and priority is to know and follow the wisdom that Yeshua gives us in his word. Verse 25. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. There was an old preacher that used to say, he saves to the uttermost and to the guttermost. <laughs> now that phrase may 
lack refinement, but it's true. In other words, God's power to rescue and redeem and save someone is perfect in every way to make us completely whole. And his perfect love reaches out to those that are in the worst gutters imaginable. But through Messiah Jesus, God has made a way of salvation for every person. The name he was given Yeshua, as I mentioned early, earlier, literally means salvation. And no matter your race, no matter your former religion or practice or the choices you have made, God loves everyone, everyone in this world so much that he gave his only son to come to earth to live a perfect life of obedience and then die a horrific death while being perfectly innocent. Wow. That's Yeshua. That's Yeshua. Now, why would God Almighty do something that radical? Because he is a God of love that we know very little about. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anyone to step into death and the afterlife without knowing him to enjoy relationship, not just for a few years on earth, but for eternity. For eternity. And God has always desired a real relationship with men and with women in the humans that he created. That's why he created mankind. And Adam and Eve, the first man, the first woman in the garden, in the book of Bereshit, the beginning, Genesis, they enjoyed intimacy with God. They walked daily in the garden, communicated with him. They had heart-to-heart communication, even Voice-to-voice communication. What an intimate walk they had with Almighty God. Until they chose their will over God's. That's where the problem happened. And they destroyed that relationship because of disobedience. But Jesus, Yeshua, is the only one to restore it. We have the first Adam in the garden, and we have the second Adam 2,000 years ago. And God's love is so radical that no one has ever done anything so bad that it could make God stop loving him or her. No matter where they've come from, no matter how dark the past has been, or how heavy their conscience is laden with guilt, no one will be cast out if they come to Yeshua, Jesus, and fully put their trust in him and him alone. The blood of Jesus, Yeshua, the blood, the innocent blood that he shed at Calvary, it has the power to wash anyone clean if they will simply come to God through him 
And the bottom line of the gospel message is simply this. It cost God everything. The precious life of his only son to make a way for us, all of mankind, to receive the glorious, eternal life that only God can give. Jesus fully surrendered his life to death so that we might gain eternal life through him. And he died so that we might live. Now here's our part. He died that we might live. Now we must die so that he can live in us and through us. He does not want a resurrected you. Lord have mercy. He wants us to die that he might live. But the battle is with our will as to his. It was a problem in the garden. It's still the same problem today. Friends, I tell you this. God wants to do far more than merely come into our hearts. He wants to completely take over our lives. Amen. That's King Jesus reigning over his people. And God will save us to the uttermost when he gets our hearts to the uttermost. And this is where we're still allowing him to work. Over and over we surrender again. I mean, I made that first choice of surrender in 1972. That was a long time ago. I've made a gazillion surrenders since then. And so have you. God will do his part to transform us more into the innocence, the beauty, the wonder, the awe in the life of Yeshua Jesus. His part is to transform us, to make us more like him. Our part is to surrender daily to his will rather than mine. God wants, here's God's ultimate desire, is to fully control our lives. Not in an evil way, because God knows what's best. He only wants the best. I remember that TV show years ago, Father Knows Best. How true that is in the realm of the Spirit. God, our Father, always knows what's best. Our problem is, is we think we know. And we live accordingly and get in trouble. The kingdom starts with individuals embracing the process of dying to my self-will so that God's will can be our first choice and our default mindset. Paul said in Philippians 2, let this mind, let this thinking process be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And I love that English word, let. It's an act of the will. Let these thoughts, those pure and innocent, those glorious, kind and caring thoughts that were in Jesus, Yeshua, as he walked here on the earth, let his thoughts, let his mind be in you and me. And to get there, we need a constant renewing of our mind 
from our old way of thinking that it's all about me to it becomes totally all about him. And that takes a long time. In fact, it's a lifetime journey. You know, there's an amazing paradox in the message of the kingdom. Salvation is free. You can't buy it. You can't buy it even if you own the whole world. You couldn't buy it. It's free. But it will cost you everything. Your most prized possession. Your life. Your life. Because God wants the human heart. And when he gets your heart, you will gain everything that truly matters for eternity. It costs us everything, but we get a whole lot more. And I love how in verse 25 it says that Jesus always lives to make intercession for us. Now, have you ever wondered... What is Jesus praying about? I mean, he lives to make intercession. Huh. What do you think he's praying about? I believe he's praying the first part of that verse. In verse 25. I believe he's praying that we would allow him to save us to the uttermost. To the uttermost. That he could look and see his son easily in our lives. He could hear his son easily in us. That we would be Jesus to a lost and dying world. In reaching out with his hands. Seeing with his eyes of compassion. His heart of tenderness. Our will is the chief obstacle to God's will for our lives. That's it. Jesus Yeshua always lives to make intercession for us. Listen. So that we would yield to God's will. Even like he did. Just as he did. Most amazing thing about Yeshua is that everything that he faced, he sought the counsel of Almighty God as Father before he made his choice. He lived, not my will, but yours be done. And that's the mind he wants in you and me. To have the same thought, the same attitude, the same desire to God be God in every decision. And then in verse 26, again, describing Jesus, Yeshua, as our high priest. And this I'll read from the New Living Translation. I think it says it wonderfully. He, referring to Jesus, is the kind of high priest that we need because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He has been set apart from sinners and has been given the highest place of honor in all of heaven. Let's pray. Father, there's so much uh, in these scriptures. 
These are the words of life to us. Thank you that you've longed for a priestly people that could love you so much that they would even be able to hear your counsel and know your will and know your way, that they could study what you've said and the stories about encounters with humans in your wonderful Holy Scriptures, that they could be spokesmen and intercede on, on behalf of, of mankind in its fallen state. And that we could come to God on behalf of the people and the burdens and the difficulties that we see and experience. We could stand before God on behalf of the people and stand before the people on behalf of God and be a priest of the Most High. Lord, you have called us not just to be priests. You've called us to be royal priests, a holy nation. And Lord, we want to thank you for that priesthood. Thank you for this amazing story of Melchizedek who appeared to our father of faith, Abraham. And he recognized something so holy in this man. Melchizedek, a king of righteousness and a king of peace. That he immediately was prompted to give him a tenth of everything he owned. Well, Lord, we don't want to just give you a tenth of our heart. We want to surrender all. That's the sacrifice that you're looking for because that's the only sacrifice you would receive on behalf of all mankind. And Jesus, you gave it. You gave your all. And the gospel message is a life, your life, for a life our life. Lord, I pray that you would not only save, I pray that your lordship would be secure in us. Thank you that you have a permanent priesthood. Thank you that we'll have the privilege of being able to minister to you and you to us for all eternity. And Lord, we just want to tell you that how, how thankful we are to have been able to hear your still small voice tugging on our hearts. This day is your day to start the path of eternal living. And it all begins with an act of surrender. It's a sacrifice for a sacrifice. Jesus, you gave it all. For us. Amazing. Your perfect sacrifice was so great that God considers all men and all women for all time. This is the standard. This is the pattern. This is the sacrifice that was perfect in every way. And because of that sacrifice, we have access. Oh, what a God. 
Thank you that the day came when it became reality to our hearts. And we said, yes, yes. Lord, thank you that our lives are in the best hands when they're in the hands of our creator. Truly, Father God knows best. Would you forgive us for us trying to uh, think that we know best and all the countless times that we know better than our friends or our spouses? Lord, you know best. And I pray that this mind, let this mind be in you, which was also in Messiah Yeshua. I pray for a surrender of our will so that your thoughts could be in us in an easier way on a daily basis. Thank you that you want our hearts. You're not interested in our money. You're not interested in our things. You want the core of who we are. And I pray that not only would you get our hearts, but you'd give you would get everything concerning our will. Today we re-surrender our will to God's. Grant that grace to make this reality an ongoing process for the rest of our lives. To the glory of God, expressed in the life of Yeshua, our King. Amen. Amen. Well, we've got about uh, five.